Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 54 of Season 5 Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-ki our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Hal Bryan of the Rocketeer Minute. Welcome back, Hal. Well, thanks, Rob. It's great to be back. Having a lot of fun this week. Yeah, me too. I mean, my systems only just came back online just this very second, but but we're still good. Excellent. You didn't get that. That was a line from the movie, but okay. I <laughs> no, I just, you, you took me a second because we had a minor technical issue yesterday. <laughs> so I was, I was giving you the benefit of the doubt there, but okay, you got it. That's me. fine. Uh, <laughs> no problem. So minute 54 begins with uh, Thompson recalibrating and ends with John making an inquiry. So yesterday we ended things by uh, beginning to hear a little bit of Stewart's new plan, uh, where he gives Thompson an order to recalibrate the ILS system uh, minus 200 feet, which thankfully Hal was able to explain us explain to us yesterday how that is impossible. So thank you, thank you once again. Anyone who wants to hear that explanation, uh, hopefully you've already listened to yesterday's episode, and if not, you can go back and listen to it. You know, and basically at this point we we see we, we get about. 10 or 12 seconds of just seeing Thompson, you know, fiddling around with the uh, different instruments of the ILS uh, landing uh, system. I, you, you said you're a little familiar with the system. Does this look like the real system, Hal? Uh, no, no, it, it doesn't. I mean, the only thing that's sort of uh, familiar now, now granted, I'm used to it from the, you know, sort of the, the, the customer side, as opposed to you know, sort of behind the scenes like this. I mean, there there's symbology because he's got the light pen and he's he's drawing on the CRT there. I mean that symbology, that sort of that arrow that shows that pathway down and the um, uh, information about the glide slope, the, the showing the the degrees of the glide slope stuff. So, I mean, I, the stuff that we're seeing there. Um, uh, and then the, you see two different altitudes. You see that uh, there's the middle marker. It says 476 feet, and then in parentheses, 173 feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so those should be uh, sea level altitudes, and then in parentheses, the altitudes above ground level. So when we're flying, um, and big airliners have, and, and stop me if this gets too arcane, but... Uh, the airliners and commercial aircraft have something that most that that we in general aviation aircraft usually don't have, and that's a radar altimeter, which shoots uh, does what it sounds like. It shoots radar beams at the ground and tells you how high you are off of the ground. Um, but most airplanes, uh, you know, private recreational airplanes don't have that. We have an altimeter, uh, which which is basically a barometer with needles on it, and that we really only know. Uh, how far we are above sea level, mm-hmm. um, and then they have to be recalibrated periodically. So that's why in movies uh, you always see them, that's what's always spinning really fast when someone's in a dive, you know. Right. And, and it always it always used to drive me crazy wondering why it's spinning like that until I realized that there's a counter below it that the counter is actually changing. <laughs> Just oh, the fact sure. that the you know that the that that the uh, arrow is going very fast doesn't mean that you're really going that fast. It's you know it. it you're not going completely out of control there. You know, there's something beyond that that it's counting down. Right. But I wouldn't want to be in so, that situation anyway. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> so I guess to answer your question, you know, what we see on the screen with the light pen, I don't think that screen exists, and it's certainly not something you could just sort of drag and change things. But they went to some effort to to put, uh, you know, in making a fake screen, they put some plausible stuff into it. I don't recall the uh, elevation of Dulles. I could look it up real quick off the top of my head, but I would say, but they're, what they're showing here is that the, that it it would be about 300, uh, yeah, just right about 300 feet above sea level, mm -hmm. which sounds possible to me. Um, oh, yep, 312 feet is the elevation. So okay. they went to some some trouble to to dummy up this uh, this display. They actually say three. I see it says on the bottom 313. You can you can see that later on. There's a, there's a better shot. Oh, of it. gotcha. So, okay, so yeah. that, that is pretty good. That means they really are very close. If right. he says 312, 313, all right, we'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're off by one, that, that's all right. Right. Well, and it, it, it could have uh, it could have changed. Um, if at any point you want, you, we can talk about how they were flying into, uh, flying onto runway 29 left and uh, how there is no 29 left at Dulles anymore. Uh, was there three zero? Was there in 1990? There, there certainly would have been. So okay, um, well they changed it because you know Windsor one one four crashed in there. Right, exactly. That's out of respect for the victims on Windsor one one four. That's right. Um, so here's here's a trivia question for you. Do you have any guesses? Um, so spoiler alert: that runway and and I I'm I'm making a a very plausible assumption here. I'm not saying it couldn't have been torn up and repaved or rebuilt in 30 years. I don't know the history of Dulles Airport, but um, any guesses as to why in 1990 it was runway 29 and why today it's runway 30? Um, my, my, I, I, wait, did anything leave Dulles on 9-11? Uh, no, but nothing crashed there. So they, they, I mean, no. they, they, they get rid of, uh, the, you know, they change flight number. They, they don't use flight numbers that crash, but, uh, you know, they wouldn't change the, right. that it, it maybe because it, it, uh, maybe has something to do with the airspace that, that if you're coming in on, uh, to, to 29, uh, L it'll, you'd be going over an airspace that in 1990 was not restricted. And today it is restricted. Am I close? Um, that's uh, that's a plausible answer, but you're going to go into the. You're, you're looking at man-made uh, at man-made causes, and this is something that's very much not man-made. So runway numbers are two digits, and they are um, uh, they refer to the the compass heading of the runway. Okay. So in this case, runway two nine points two hundred and ninety degrees. Okay. So west is 270. So, you know, this is basically a runway that points to the west. And that same runway on the other end uh, would have the number uh, 11 uh, because it's 180 degrees off. So, going right. this direction, it's runway 29. Going the other direction, it's 11 or 110. Okay. Um, it changes because, and that's all done with respect to magnetic north, and runways get repainted and renamed um, when. I, let me back up. I'll say two nine. Maybe back then it was 
292 degrees or 294 degrees. They just, they round it to the nearest 10 and then drop off the zero. Okay. But the magnetic headings change over time as the North Pole moves around. Mm, so okay. the magnetic North Pole is constantly in motion. Um, it's sometimes it's uh, it's pretty close to uh, Canadian territory. Sometimes it's closer to Russian territory. And so at some point over the years, this airport was resurveyed and they found out that runway 29 now points probably 297 degrees. Mm. So that's closer to 30. Okay. You know, if it went from 294 to 297 as the North Pole moved, so they would have at at, at some point when it's when the rounding becomes uh, in favor of the 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 next number going up or down, they'll actually uh, and it's a big deal. They have to you know resurface, repaint that part of the runway, republish um, all of the charts, all of the uh, instrument approach procedures, and everything like that. Wow. But it does uh, it does have to happen periodically. Because the North Pole just won't hold still. Wow. Have you have you ever flown into Dulles as a pilot? Um, as a pilot, no. Oh, okay. uh, no, and I, I think I've been into Dulles and Reagan uh, just as a passenger, but no, never as a never as a pilot. Mm, okay. It's intriguing. It's kind of a bucket list thing to think about, but the the airspace is uh, post 9/11 in particular is so ridiculously complex there. I'm not sure how hard I'll uh, ever fight for it. The one thing that I would love to do is uh, at Dulles, the Smithsonian Institution has the Udvar Hazy Center, which is part of their Air and Space Museum. And they do uh, host a uh, small invitation only fly-in uh, every year. And so that's kind of a rare exception that you see, I don't know if it's a dozen or so, you know, private general aviation airplanes coming in there, you know, with, sort of special permissions and special procedures and that that itself would be kind of a, a bucket list thing so who knows oh wow these days all right well you just have to get yourself invited <laughs> that's right i know some people we'll see there what you happens. go there you go you, you gotta you know use use those connections you got <laughs> right <laughs> all right so thompson makes this change you know which uh you know as we've discussed over the last few days is completely implausible in our world but in their world they for some reason have uh, a system that will allow you to do something like this you'd think that the system would would tell you that you can't do that but okay whatever <laughs> and and then uh you know uh we we then hear one of the they show us then the tower and one of the technicians actually i guess the guy who's in charge of this ils system uh looks out and goes oh jesus They've reset the ground level minus 200 feet. You know, so I, I, I like the, the fact that they actually let us see the reaction in the tower. Like, like, it's not as if they've cut off all communications. They've, they've allowed the, the tower to see everything that's going on, but they have no control over it, which I think right. makes things even more frustrating for, for the people in, in the tower. You know, because here, these are guys who this is their job, and they're looking and someone else is messing with it. You know, that type of thing. And yeah, it would be horrific. Yes, correct. And then uh, Stuart then pretends to, to be the tower itself. And he talks to to uh, to the flight and he goes, Windsor flight 114. This is Dulles approach. Do you copy? And then uh, the, the pilot says, Dulles approach. This is Windsor 114. Where the devil have you been? Now, I'm assuming you recognize who this uh, actor is. Right. 
Oh, the, um, it's called Meanie. That is correct. That is Cole Meanie. Chief O'Brien. That is correct. <laughs> he is, so he was born in 1953, which means that at the time of this movie, he was uh, 37 years old. He has 138 IMDb credits. Uh, included among them are he rules in Con Air, Under Siege, Come See the Paradise, Far and Away, Last of the Mohicans, uh, Mystery Alaska, uh, this movie, obviously. Um, and then uh, his his largest uh, amount of of bulk of, of credits go for his uh, Star Trek appearances. He was in 52 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation playing uh, O'Brien. And then he was in 173 episodes of Deep Space Nine. He is the only actor to appear in 14 different seasons of Star Trek shows, uh, wow. which is which is pretty amazing. You know, he that's a cool bit of trivia. Yeah, um, he's yeah. also like one of four people that was that 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 that, uh, that was that was in more than one finale, and you know, there's a whole bunch of other uh, trivia things about him as. Uh, you know, and also, you know, he was in three movies in the 90s that that deal with uh, uh, terrorism. You know, he's in this movie, Under Siege, and Deep, and uh, Con Air. And obviously, in each one of them, he plays a different type of role. You know, he's uh, uh, he's actually one of the bad guys in Under Siege. In this movie, he's, I guess, just a pilot. No offense, Hal, by saying just a pilot. <laughs> None of uh, <laughs> and, and in... Uh, you know, Con Air, uh, shout out to, to Jay and Mark doing their Con Air Minute, or Con Air, uh, I always say that, a shout out to Jay and Mark on the, the Con Air pod. You know, he either plays the uh, a CIA agent uh, or some sort of government official. And so, yeah, so here he is in this movie. I I remember when I saw this movie that everyone was thrilled to see him because it was, it was just like two or three years that he had already been in uh, Star Trek Next Generation. So everyone recognized him. You know, and then uh, we have Stuart responding, Wizard Woman for Dallas Approach. We're, we've been right here all along, old buddy. Our systems only came back online just this very second. And then he goes, Wizard 114, you're cleared for ILS Approach, runway 29er. Contact Dulles Tower Frequency at the Outer Marker. Okay, do, do you want to like quickly explain what the Outer Marker is? Because sure. I sort of understand what it is, but you know, I, I, I don't 100% know. Right. So basically, um, you know, the whole instrument landing system is a series of, uh, series of radio transmitters that, uh, that, send out kind of invisible beams that are then um, interpreted by, by at, at this point in, in aviation, by gauges now, you know, certainly glass displays have taken over uh, in the cockpit of the airplane. Um, so you've got uh, um, a, a few different components. You've got the localizer, which is a thing that tells you whether you're lined up left and right. The glide slope, which is the thing that they're manipulating here, it's that, you know, when you see it on the screen, it's, it's represented by that big, long, stretched out arrow. So that's just the, that's the vertical descent path that you would take to the runway. And then the markers, you've got three. You've got the outer, the middle, and the inner. And those are, um, I don't know how to describe it, so very, like, narrowly focused transmitters that, uh, as you pass over them, um, just 
you have uh, you have a series of lights on the instrument panel. It's just, it'll say OMI, and it'll beep and and uh, flash as you pass over it, or or uh, either flash or just sort of come to full brightness and then sort of fade out. So it's just um, they truly are just markers, and it's just it's one more way of saying. Uh, you've got your localizer. Am I good left and right? Your glide slope is telling you, am I am I good sort of up and down, and am I coming at the right angle? And then these these three marker positions are just landmarks that tell you this is where you are on this whole path from you know from the sky down to the runway. So I uh, okay, and it's uh, not atypical to be told to contact the control tower when you get to the outer marker. That could be a point where um, approach. The approach controller would then send you to the tower. Um, again, sort of two very different facilities and buildings and things. Um, but it is unusual in this case uh, that they didn't give them the actual frequency. Most of the time, any controller, when they tell you, go talk to somebody else, they tell you what radio frequency. So they would tell you, you know, contact uh, okay. Dallas Tower at the honor marker on, you know, 118.5 or whatever the actual frequency was. Mm, okay. More right, than you that, wanted that to makes know, sense. but that's okay. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. It's great. Thank you very much. So it, it, it helps me understand a little more what's going on here. So sure. so I do appreciate that. Um, and then we, we see John's listening on the cell phone once again <laughs> to everything going on. That magic cell phone. <laughs> and then he's and then he screams, Jesus Christ, he's gonna crash the <laughs> plane. So does this mean that he actually heard the controller say that that's what they're doing? You know, because again, <laughs> so you know, like, how did John? How did John know this? You know, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, my guess was because I don't think John is in a position to have picked up on the recalibration. Am, am I? Am I? Does that make sense that's, to you? That's uh, my point. Right. Because yeah, right. So that's what I'm saying. He's not in the. He's not in the same room with everybody. Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud through this. Um, right. So I think uh, just the fact that he knows that this guy is giving them a clearance, you know, he's talking to them, uh, pretending to be Dulles approach, giving them a clearance. I think he's just deduced that whatever he's going to do, maybe he's going to collide two airplanes or order a descent to an you know, impossible altitude or something. So I think he's just figured out, yeah, they're going to crash the airplane. He just I, probably doesn't know exactly how at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, that's fair. I mean, he does. He can hear Stuart talking to the plane. That's the thing. Right. He just yeah, doesn't he, know what. So he what knows he's a, do a bad guy is posing as a controller, and right. You know, the, exactly. the obvious inference is well, he's a bad guy. He's going to do something bad. Right now, I, I've actually always wondered this. When when you look at a, uh, the cockpit of a plane, does it make a difference if the pilot is on the right or the left? I mean, is is it like a standard thing? It well, there is a standard that says that the the command pilot or the captain um, sits on the left, uh, except in mm -hmm. most helicopters, then it's on the right. And I've nobody I've ever talked to can tell me why. Um, ah, okay, all right. Generally, speaking, and, and it can't be because like they it can't be because of the you know the helicopters are made in England or something. Correct, yeah. exactly. Not right hand drive. Like, uh, well, that's what I was—I was wondering here when I first saw Colmini. I was like, okay, maybe he's supposed to be—maybe he's on—he's driving on the wrong side. You know, he's flying on the wrong side. Right, because it's Windsor Air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. uh, for the most part, their controls are the same, and in a modern airliner in particular, 
uh, everything is pretty well duplicated on on both sides. Certainly, um, you know, most airplanes that are side by side like that in particular, you're going to have both pilots are going to have a control yoke and rudder pedals. Uh, they likely share a throttle quadrant in the middle um, and then would have, you know, would have displays that uh, that match things in some airplanes. Uh, when you get into smaller airplanes, you'll you'll still find two sets of controls, but uh, um, the gauges and things they are the emphasis is on putting them on the left so that the pilot in command has full view, and so somebody on the right um, doesn't have a full sort of duplicate complement of all all the gauges and things. Mm, okay, all right, that's that's great. Um, and then. Uh, so the pilot of Windsor 114 says, Roger approach and about time. I've got 230 people up here flying on petrol fumes. And and then the, the response he gets is, Roger 114, understand, calibrate Dulles altimeter. And then, uh, you know, the, 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 the technician that we had earlier is still looking and he goes, oh, Jesus, they'll fly right into the concrete. Exactly. <laughs> and then Trudeau starts to get angry and goes, son of a bitch. <laughs> I love him. And then we, 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 yeah. And then we, we see John still listening on the cell phone. And then John starts asking uh, Barnes a question. He goes, why are they listening? And then he gets cut off. So what, what he says here about calibrate Dulles alt altimeter, that, that also is something that you would normally say? Um, not in those uh, not in those terms. You, you wouldn't say the word calibrate, but that is what you're doing. Is you will just hear on the on the radio if you ever listen to any aircraft radio for any period of time, they would tell you Dulles altimeter, you know, two nine or eight one or um, or you know so and so such and such altimeter setting, and then they give you a uh, four digit number, which is the current uh, in the U.S. Here in, in the U.S., it's it's barometric pressure. Uh, in inches of inches of mercury and elsewhere in the world they they work on a standard of millibars um, but it had come up a little bit earlier we talked about that uh, an altimeter is really a barometer you know with in this case needles on it in a physical uh, physical gauge and uh, so you need to know um, wherever you're flying you need to periodically find out the barometric pressure at the at the nearest weather station so in this case it's a it's not a courtesy per se but it's an extra bit of information that you know they probably already know the latest altimeter setting but the controller would tell you uh in that transmission you know dallas altimeter 29 or 86 and so then uh the pilot or or in many cases both pilots would then dial that number into the altimeter so that uh, their altimeter properly reflects their altitude uh, above sea level um, which is which, interesting in this case because the terrorists could have given and in fact should have given a bogus altimeter setting to make them less likely to catch on to this whole 200 foot discrepancy um, mm. And we don't really uh, okay. we don't really see that because that um, an airliner is still just not going to fly blindly into the ground because an altimeter was set incorrectly. But um, there have been maybe Chief O'Brien just isn't a really good pilot. That could be too. Maybe he's just a, <laughs> just a terrible pilot. Um, there was yeah. a uh, he's used to flying in space. <laughs> 
Not, not, <laughs> right, not, not on, on Earth. Earth. You know, we talked yesterday about some a couple of T-38 crashes, and there was a, a very famous uh, um, late 70s crash involving the four T-38s of the of Thunderbirds uh, demonstration squadron. And some accounts say that that one was attributed to an incorrect altimeter setting. So you have that wrong oh, wow. number dialed in there. And you think you're, you know, if you've got four airplanes and you're in tight formation doing aerobatics low to the ground and you're coming out of the bottom of the loop and, you know, just I'm making up some numbers here. But if you think you're 100 feet off the ground and you're and you're really not <laughs> or you think you're 200 yeah. feet off the ground and you're really only 50 feet off the ground. Um, but it was, it was a, a terrible crash in which the lead pilot flew straight into the ground and the formation pilots just followed him right in in perfect formation because they don't take their eyes off the off the boss um wow. and as i said some accounts at least attribute that in part to not having the correct altimeter setting which means not having the current barometric pressure so that your gauges are calibrated correctly well if if if, if what you were saying is correct about the thunderbird so if if it was miscalibrated just on the lead uh plane wouldn't the others have like some sort of uh warning sign or something like that they even if they're just looking at the lead if they get like a you know a warning beep or something like that wouldn't they uh, you know I, I mean i don't know how that works so this is i mean this is outside of you know typical area of expertise but i think there's a couple of things that could have happened number one um is uh is, is the fact that they truly when they're in tight formation like that you know, you've got an airplane, you know, four airplanes. I know the the Blue Angels when they fly, they don't fly, the Thunderbirds don't fly as tight as the Blue Angels, but the Blue Angels fly with 18 inches of separation between wingtips and the diamond wow. formation. It's unbelievable, and you think how close that is. So pilots are yes. are truly. I mean, there's absolute trust in who's leading that formation, and when they're in their their diamond, they are not looking anywhere the only person who has the luxury of stealing a glance at the gauges would be uh the person in the number one position okay, okay. now the possibility the, there's a good possibility that the idea of the the altimeter setting being wrong there being you know could be apocryphal but it's it's certainly plausible and it would have um you know it, it would have reinforced the ruse in the movie you know had, yeah. had, they, okay. had they done it so the fact that they didn't give a number or say anything but at least they acknowledged, hey, calibrate your altimeter. Um, you know, that was a, a smart move on behalf of the writers to put that in there so that we're at least acknowledging that, yes, you know, that was probably part of the ruse. Right. Okay, that's fair. So you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. So the, the script has some changes here. Um, so it starts off with... Uh, um with Stuart uh, you know talking to 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 Windsor 114 and then it says everyone in the tower reacts to Stuart's voice and the chilling lie he's just told in an affable good old boy tone that's totally different from anything they've heard up until then and then the the British pilot responds you know saying where have you been and then Stuart says we've been uh we've been right here old man and in the the movie, he says "old buddy." I think "old buddy" sounds a little better, anyway. 
Um, and then it continues through the, the conversation. You're, you have approach on runway 29, report to the tower at the outer market marker. And then McLean goes, Christ, he's bringing them down. Um, I, I do like the Bruce Willis's reaction about he's going to crash the plane a little better than he's going to bring them down. Right. You know, it, it, it gives more urgency to, to what's going on. It does. The way that, that, that he delivers it. Bringing them down is what, you know, you're missing the word safely, but bringing them down is what the, the job of these controllers would be to do. And so that, that doesn't have that, as you said, that same urgency as crashing the airplane, you know. Yeah, that's right. Bringing them down can mean crashing, or it can just mean bringing them in for a nice, safe landing. Um, so, true. yeah, the line is much, much more powerful as delivered. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the pilot uh, says, Roger, approach in about time. I've got 230 people up here flying on petrol fumes. And then then Trudeau goes, the son of a bitch, the goddamn son of a bitch. And then Stewart uh, continues replying to the pilot and says, I'll bet. Okay, calibrate your altimeter at setting 2992. Oh. Turning you over to tower now. So there's that four-digit number and I promised you. <laughs> there you go. That's right. And and then McLean goes, what? And then Trudeau goes, that's the runway between here and the new terminal. He wants to make all of us watch it. And then it says, uh, you know, it pushes in on McLean. As he looks out the window, Barnes screams, don't do it, you bastards, don't do it. <laughs> and that, that's what we got here. So every Thursday, we have a segment called Aviation Thursday, where my guests will give their top five movies uh, somehow related to airplanes or, or airports or aircrafts or something of that sort. Uh, so, Hal, I'm sure this was even harder for you to put together <laughs> to choose top five. But if you can, give us your top five, start with number five and work your way up. All right, here's my top 500 as requested. So sit back. <laughs> it was tough. Um, yeah, aviation. Yeah, we have, we have are, three hours. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. We got plenty of time. Um, I look in just in my personal movie collection. I I think there are more than 400 movies that that specifically tie to aviation and and have that tag in my database. So yeah, I wonder uh, why. Yeah, I wonder why. Not easy. <laughs> Um, so lots of honorable mentions. I'll spare you those. Uh, and and again, I, I'm not necessarily wedded to the order of three, four, and five here. It's pretty good ties. But uh, number five, I have Iron Eagle. A wonderful guilty Ooh. pleasure of a movie that came out uh, about six months before Top Gun. And yes. uh, I always tell, I joke with people that it is aged better than Top Gun because Iron Eagle was ridiculous when it came out, and it's exactly as ridiculous now whereas top gun was incredible and i dearly love it uh when it came <laughs> out but it's it it hasn't aged all that well it looks very it looks uh, a lot sillier now um so iron eagle doug masters flying the f-16 just guilty pleasure but i i own it um okay number four tora 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 uh recreating the attack on pearl harbor a uh, massive undertaking in building airplanes, uh, replicas of Japanese airplanes to fly for that movie and some incredible flying scenes. A lot of great warbirds. Uh, the Great Waldo Pepper. Mentioned that a bit yesterday with my flying story. Robert Redford as a ex-World War One pilot turned barnstormer uh, turned um, movie pilot. So a movie, it's a great look at uh, the world of barnstorming and early, uh, early 20th century aviation and a great look at filmmaking at that time as well. Uh, number two for me, uh, the Battle of Britain. Um, 
and it it honestly fights hard uh, for number uh, for number one. But you can probably guess uh, because of my other podcast uh, that the Rocketeer has to have that number one spot. An absolute love letter yeah. to the golden age of aviation. And uh, one of the things I wanted to say about uh, today. Uh, you know, it's it's Thursday, the 27th of, of July, and uh, this is actually my wedding anniversary. So I wanted to give a shout out to my wife who doesn't listen to the show and thank her for so far 13 wonderful years. Uh, like I said, she doesn't listen to the show, so it doesn't really matter. You all now know it's my, my anniversary, but, uh, you know, she, she knows it's my anniversary too, but not via the podcast. So. <laughs> oh, well, happy anniversary to you both. My wife and I were also married in July. So uh, when this airs, it'll be uh, about two weeks after. All right. Very cool. All right. So you want to once again tell people uh, how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. Uh, you can find uh, uh, find me via the Green Dot podcast, which, uh, which I do as uh, one of the hosts as part of the Experimental Aircraft Association's podcast at inspire.ea.org. Uh, the Rocketeer Minute is easy enough at rocketeerminute.com. Uh, both the, the Rocketeer Minute and the Green Dot uh, can be found just about anywhere you get your podcasts. And that's uh, even on YouTube now, or at least the Rocketeer Minute is on YouTube. Of course, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, audible.com carries both, which has uh, been a nice, uh, a nice way to get some new listeners. So you can find me uh, all over those places. All right. Very cool. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. So, Hal, you feel like coming back in tomorrow to actually look at the inside of a plane in the cabin? Let's do that and let's finish out the week. That'll be that'll be fun. All right. Great. So, until tomorrow, yippee kaye. yippee kaye. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, Quaint little village